We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Uh, I'm going to be taking you through uh, the next instalment uh, of this series that we're rapidly coming towards the end of, actually, already for, for the summer. Uh, and if you've been with us, you'll know that we've been doing this Summer of Psalms uh, series. And um, it's been great, hasn't it, to hear um, from so many different people within the church uh, about their favourite psalm or a psalm that spoke to them and to just have something different called out of the psalms each week as I've been watching online and, and learning. It's, it's been great to, to just see different faces. Um, and it's my prayer this morning that, that we'll see something new again. Uh, I want to try and bring you something that um, will encourage you and challenge you. Uh, I really have been praying that you'll be spoken to by the Holy Spirit as I speak. And I think I'll, above all, my prayer is that we will all have a, a response and an action to take from, from this place. We really don't want to leave here the same way that we came in this morning. That's, that's my prayer for us all uh, as we look at this passage together. So let's start then, shall we, by, by reading uh, together, and we're going to read Psalm 20, and you can either follow that uh, along with you uh, in your own Bibles, or the words will be up on the screen, like that. Um, so let's dive straight in, we're going to read the whole chapter uh, of Psalm 20, so verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They're brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Amen. I realise we've lost the last verse there on the slide, so you have to trust me on that one. In case, in case you missed it as we read it there, this psalm, much like a lot of the songs that we've been singing and prayers we've been praying already this morning, is about victory. Victory in the face of opposition. Victory against the odds. Victory because it's given to us, not because it's won by us. This psalm is a marching anthem with which to go into battle. And it's a song that would have been sung by the Israelites as they prepared for all-out hostilities with their enemy. I don't know how you found the last 18 months of the, the lockdowns, or maybe even just the last six weeks of the school holidays, or the last few days of, of whatever it is that's going on in your life. But I could pretty uh, reasonably say that life for all of us can sometimes feel like a battle. Whether it's 
battling within your family, with your work commitments, with your parents or your children or your mental health or your physical health, whatever it is, life can, for all of us, sometimes feel like all-out war. And I want to use this psalm this morning to point us all to a great hope that we should have as we, as we face these, these battles in our lives. And I want us to see again, or, or maybe for the first time, uh, that we have a victory that can be claimed in these battles. And there's actually a far greater battle and a far greater victory that's already been won for us on our behalf and that we can celebrate in and share in today. And I would love for us to go out of this building this morning singing with this victory anthem in our hearts. And before we go on to to look at this passage in detail, I I just had a sense as I was preparing for this morning um, that the battle for for some of you, for some of us, um, might even just be a a battle against um, contentment or perhaps a a sense of apathy or just a a cooling that might have happened in in your excitement for the things of God, um, perhaps in in these months where we haven't been able to to physically meet together. And I want to speak to that battle uh, and say that, that by his Holy Spirit, that may something in our hearts be softened and reignited this morning. I want us to encourage us to recapture that same excitement and that same fervor that perhaps we once had as we look at some of these amazing life-changing truths again this morning. And I just pray into that specifically, and then we'll get into the passage. Father, I just pray that you will help us to see your victory in all things this morning. Whatever we each need, I pray that you will minister uh, that to us by your word. And I just specifically pray for anyone that might have felt a cooling in their relationship with you during this lockdown, that you will set them ablaze again for you today by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now I want to talk for a minute about names. Names are important, aren't they? If you've ever had a child, or maybe you've got a new pet, or perhaps some of you, it's even just buying a new car. I'm guessing that at some point or other, we've all thought very carefully about the names that we give to those things. Because names for us, they're more than just labels or identifiers. They actually tell us something about the character of the person or the thing that it's given to. In some cases, we can actually see that, that people and things change to be like the name that they're given. They'll grow to become uh, like what they're called. I've actually done a bit of research into this, and I'm not sure whether you've you've perhaps come across it yourselves before, but there is a a genuine uh, name that is given to to this thing uh, called nominative determinism. Ringing any bells, any honour? Nominative determinism, easy for me to say. This is the theory that things, as I said, grow to become like the name that they're given. Or the idea that people's names mean that they are born just for that specific job or role. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, Here's a few examples for you. Uh, Hopefully you'll be able to to read them okay up on the screen. Uh, The the names are a bit small. So here we have, uh, hopefully you can read that, Dr. Will Welfare. Uh, Of course, he works for Public Health England. What else could he do? 
this one, I feel sorry for this guy. Really sorry for this guy, if you didn't see that. This is a, an arson su suspect on the news, John Burns. Kind of feel like he's being tarred by his name a little bit there. I like this one. <laughs> if your name's Alan Too Good, you've really got to be a Samaritan's volunteer, haven't you? That's, he, he, nothing else you could. Uh, you might know this guy got quite famous, Tom Kitchen. He's a chef. Again, no choice. This is one of my personal favourites coming up. <laughs> I wonder if he thought about buying a houseboat if, if his name hadn't been that, but who knows? It just seemed pretty obvious. Now, there's also a thing, this is nominative determinism. There's an anti-nominative determinism where people are the opposite of what their name should be. This, this is one I found. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I, I wonder if he's sort of done this as a bit of an effort to try and clear his name. He's working against it. And this final one, I, I think we've got to hope and pray that this, this really one does come true. This is the, the aptly named Dr. Larry Brilliant, who is the chair of something which is the ending pandemics. <laughs> who even knew that such a thing existed? But if you need someone to do it, Larry Brilliant is, the, uh, is definitely the guy that you want. Now, maybe I'm going to extremes here, but names can tell us a lot about someone. And names were important to the Israelites too. Um, just look at the, the first verse of the passage um, that we read, verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. And then verse 7, a few verses later. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Why was it that the name of God was so important to the Israelites? Why was it the name that they trusted for their victory? Well, just like with our nominative determinists, if there is such a word, we see that God's character is intrinsically linked to his name. Because God is God, there are certain things that he must always do and certain ways that he must always be. If he didn't do those things or, or he wasn't those things, then he wouldn't be God, and his, his name could not be God. Now, we see throughout the Old Testament that God actually has given many different names, and each one talks about some specific characteristics of his. So there's El Shaddai, which means the Almighty One. There's Yahweh, which means the, the Lord or the Master. Or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides, and hundreds more like it. And because another one of those traits that God has is that he never changes or falters, then we can be confident that God will always live up to the names that he's given. This is why the Israelites sung about the name of God before the battle. One of those names, one of those characteristics of God was that God is victorious. And we'll see more of that in a moment. When they proclaimed their God, the name of their God, over the battle. They were proclaiming his victory in it, and with that, the victory of the Israelites themselves. The success or failure of the Israelites was completely bound up in the success or failure of their king, God himself. So if God was victorious, they'd be victorious. 
can draw some parallels with our lives today. If you're a, a follower of God here today, then you too can sing about and trust in the names and characteristics of that same God who's not changed in the, the 3,000 years since this psalm was written. All those aspects of God's nature seen in his names, whether it's almighty or provider or shepherd or healer or peace giver, they're available to you and to me now just as much as they were to the Israelites on that day. Maybe we could just take a moment to consider some of those aspects of God's character and I've put a few on the screen for you to to look at and meditate on. Why don't you just pick out one or a couple maybe that just uh, leap out at you. Why don't you ask God to make himself very evident to you in that particular characteristic this morning. Whatever it is that you need God to show you this morning, reach out to him now and declare that, that his name is healer, is master, is victor, is everlasting, is with us. Father, we thank you for these names that speak of who you are and what you are like. Father, we thank you that they are unchanging, each one of these, just like you. They're the same yesterday as they are today and will be tomorrow, Lord. Father, we cling to each one of these. And Father, I pray that whatever it might be that people are are longing for this morning, they would find it in your names. Amen. Let's return to the psalm again now, and I want to highlight another name that we can find here when we we start to look a bit deeper. So let's read again verse 6. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Okay, time for a quick lesson in ancient Hebrew, which is the the language that this psalm was written in uh, and would have been sung in by, by the Israelites at the time. So the word used here for victory, in verse 6, I'm told, is the Hebrew word Yeshua, Y-E-S-H-U, apostrophe, A-H. That is the word used for victory. Now, I don't know if there's any of you that might be able to spot a, a slight resemblance of that word to perhaps another word that we see elsewhere in the Bible. Well... Uh, Yeshua, or in fact, I'm told again that more commonly it's without the, the final H, but it's essentially the same word, is the Hebrew name that is given to Jesus. That's why the name Jesus means the Lord is victorious or the Lord saves. <laughs> I just find that utterly staggering, amazing, that this psalm, written a thousand years or more before Jesus was born on this earth, has his name written in the heart of it. Once you know this, I I think you start to read the whole psalm differently. Um, Verse 5, may we shout for joy over your victory, it says. Whose victory are we shouting for joy over, do you think? The victory of of the Israelites in, in, in their upcoming battle there and then? Maybe, yes. But how about also the ultimate victory 
over death that Jesus won on the cross when he rose again. In fact, we we can see this even more clearly uh, in some nearby psalms, and we don't have time to to look at them all this morning, but you can go home and and I encourage you to have a look at some of these. Um, Psalm 22 talks clearly about Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion. Uh, Psalm 24 shows Jesus' victory over death. Psalm 110 shows Jesus sat at the Father's right hand in heaven. In fact, again, I'm I'm told there's at least 25 psalms that make direct references to some part of Jesus' birth or life, death or resurrection. And that's that's 25 of the the songs and the poems that, again, were written a thousand years before Jesus ever lived here on the earth. Just find that incredible when you you start to understand and to learn these things. it, It absolutely just blew my mind. What I love about the Psalms in in general, and and this Psalm in particular, is this thing that I've only really come to start to understand more recently in my Christian journey. It's that at their root, all Psalms are about and point towards one man, Jesus. A bit about me, I I was brought up going along to a a wonderful but, but very traditional evangelical church. I think the only thing that was, was stronger than the Bible teaching was the, was the look you got from the pastor's wife if you stepped out a turn in one of the pews in, in the service. So I, I grew up knowing all of the Bible stories and, and understanding all of the facts about what God did, uh, what, sorry, who God was and, and what Jesus did. And I thank God for that place because um, it was through that teaching that while I was there as, a, as an 11-year-old boy, that I asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins, to come and be my saviour, and to prepare a place for me in heaven uh, when I died. And I knew that I'd been saved by accepting that I was a sinner, by believing that Jesus died for me on the cross and rose again, and by committing my life to follow him. But looking back on that time now, I think my decision was probably based more on it being the, the right thing to do at the time, Um, rather than because I'd I'd really grasped how real Jesus could be in my life. And that was okay, by the way, because the glorious thing is that Jesus accepts us just as we come. In all our wrong thinkings and misunderstandings, all our limited grasp of what his call on our lives really means, the only condition for him to come and be our saviour is that we call on his name. And and praise God, because I I wouldn't be here in front of you today were it not for that. But whilst that church taught me all about the mighty God of the Old Testament and the saving Jesus of the New Testament, what it it failed to teach me, or, or perhaps if I'm being honest, what I failed to understand from being there was that the whole Bible, the whole of history, is all about and focused on Jesus Jesus was was with God and and was God right from the beginning. He was God's original plan for saving mankind and bringing us back to him. And just as Jesus' name and story is woven through the Psalms and and through all of the Old Testament, so Jesus' name continues to be the thread throughout all of human history right up to this very day today. 
it wasn't until I was sort of in my mid-twenties uh, and I'd been to a few different churches and, and heard different speakers that I really started to discover that this Jesus, who I, I knew to be miraculous and factual, but kind of historical, a historical figure, I discovered he was actually just as real and alive and relevant to me today as he was 2,000 years ago when he lived on this earth. And just as I discovered Jesus there in the Psalms for the first time, I also discovered him present and wanting to be part of every day in my life. This made a a radical difference to, to my faith and to my life. Instead of living much like everyone else around me, I started to realize that having faith in Jesus meant being called to be set apart from the world. I started to make big decisions in my life based on where I felt Jesus calling me rather than where I felt comfortable or where it seemed to make the most sense to me. I realised that I would sometimes need to stand out from the crowd, whether it's at at work or or with my non-Christian friends, even when that made me feel quite uncomfortable or it would be easier to to go with the majority. And I started to realise that I didn't have to face life challenges that that inevitably come. I didn't just have to face them with, with hard work or determination or a stiff upper lip, but actually I had a friend and a saviour who was for me and not against me, who had good plans for me, and who was working all things for my good. Just as we've been reading this morning, I began to learn that I followed a victorious Jesus, one over whose victory I could shout with joy, and to whom I could also turn to in darker times. And I could let out a cry of distress and I I could know that he would hear me and he would bring his victory. Often the way that I experienced and learnt about this Jesus was from the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Again, this wasn't something that I was particularly um, familiar with from my childhood. But as I listened and read and, and learnt about and then experienced for myself what the Holy Spirit does in speaking to our hearts. I realised again that my eyes were open to so much more of what God wanted to do in my life. And we don't have time to go into all the details of that, but I just encourage you, if you'd like to know more about what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptised in the Spirit, or the gifts of the Spirit, all these things, if you want to know more, come and speak to someone. Come and speak to me or Chris or any one of the leaders here in the church afterwards. We'd love uh, to pray with you, to speak with you, and to help you explore uh, all that God's got for you in that area. And when we close in a minute, I'd just like us to, to spend a moment, us all, asking for a fresh filling, as Chris has already done this morning, a fresh filling of that Holy Spirit in us. Give us that realisation once more of just who Jesus was and is, and all he's done that means, uh, and all that means for us today. And to bring before him anything that perhaps you're carrying uh, where you need to see victory and you need to see Jesus come and proclaim that victory uh, in our lives. You see, thinking back to that passage once more, one difference that, that we have uh, from the Israelites when we, we pray or we sing this psalm, you see, they sung... Uh, these words, in prayerful request for God's victory in the battle. They say things like, may he send you help, 
May he remember your sacrifices. May he give you the desires of your heart. The difference for us is that we already know the outcome of the battle. On this side of history, we know that Jesus has conquered death when he rose again. We don't need, therefore, to sing a prayer of, Jesus, may you be given whatever it is you need to win. Because we already know today that he has won. We simply get to celebrate it, and in doing so, remind ourselves of all that it means for us. We should be genuinely excited about this. This is what I was saying at the start about leaving with this song in our hearts. Not that everything in our lives will now be easy, not that we won't face opposition or distress, but that we can go through life having absolute confidence that Jesus has won the ultimate victory and that we get to share in that through faith in him and that we have a certain hope of heaven to come. You can have that same realisation that Jesus is the thread through, throughout all of history and all of your life and that he is above and through everything and that his victory has given you victory too. Let's draw close to him this morning. Experience him afresh. Reach out to him in your distress and celebrate in his victory through his name. Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray and then the band's going to come and close with another song this morning. Just want us again to just take a moment to think about what, what this means for us. What part of your life have you been perhaps keeping from Jesus? What, what part of your life do you need some victory in? What part of your life needs to be impacted again by Jesus' all-powerful, all-consuming love? pray into that. Jesus, we just proclaim again this morning that you are victorious. You have won the battle. Jesus, we don't need to pray in hope that you win, but we pray in certainty that you have already won. And we cling on to that this morning. We claim it as our own. We say that your victory by your grace and mercy means our victory, Lord that we know we have too defeated death because when, when we die, we'll be taken and raised again to be with you in heaven. And for all that we have in our lives before then, Lord, I claim victory in despair, in sickness, in trouble. Lord, we look to you and say, only you can bring us that victory that we need. We cling to you this morning and we celebrate together in your precious and worthy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.